Hey everyone, welcome to my show, my so-called fabulous. Welcome everyone. All right, you've been asking me forever and we did bring you hormone health last season in season four and I've talked about my hormone health and my unhealth with hormones, uh, my struggle and you know what? I'm just bringing the experts to you because again, you ask and you're going to receive. So everyone, welcome to the show, Elise Clark. From my doctor's office, Dr. Leanne Scott with Forum Health. Welcome to the show, Elise. Thank you. Happy to be here. Well, it's so good to have you. And um, I have to say, my daughter, I'm assuming this is okay. She's approved this. <laughs> my daughter sees Elise. I see Dr. Scott, like I said before, for several years now. And um, I am just so blessed to have someone in my life that truly understands hormones, I am taking, I have been for a while, bioidentical hormone replacement. I'm 58. I make no bones about it. But today, my audience and my followers are 18 to 42, would be about 85% okay. female for the most part. And I have these young women asking me questions constantly and needing assistance. Mm -hmm. Some women are not seeing a physician. So I have a lot of questions, Elise, about, oh my goodness, birth control. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway. So um, I get asked this question a lot. And speaking from personal experience with me and my friends, as well as all the experience I have in the clinic, um, I am not completely against not completely against birth control pills, um, but I do think there's a lot more risk than has been presented before people start them. Um, I remember 20 years ago when I was a teenager, it was really popular to just be placed on birth control if you had anything like abnormal periods or PMS type symptoms. And I don't think we knew quite yet the ramifications that would happen from that. Um, when you take birth control pills, it suppresses your own production of the good estradiol and progesterone. Those make us feel good. They help with skin tone, skin moisture, mood, brain health, cholesterol, inflammation. So when you stop producing those as a result of taking birth control pills, there's some side effects that you can feel physically, but also I often see them in my patient's lab results. Um, it increases cholesterol levels. It increases something called the C-reactive protein, which creates inflammation in the body and can make us feel a little bit off. And then the lack of estrogen and progesterone can just negatively impact people's moods. So I think um, I think birth control pills are a little bit overused for things. I think people are on them for uh, too young and probably for too long. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's a certain population they're good for for a few years at a time. And then there's even, you know, without going too far into the weeds, but there are certain conditions like endometriosis where the benefit does outweigh the risk. Right. Um, so I guess that was a long way of saying I'm not completely against them, but there's a lot more side effects than we're usually aware of before we start them. Right. And you have been in the industry for quite a long time and you've been with Dr. Scott, what, eight years? Almost now? six. Almost six yeah. years. And nurse practitioner. Yes. And you have, your mother was a, a nurse. My mother is a nurse, still works. Yeah. Yes. And this, you, you're, you just naturally, naturally are a caretaker and a caregiver. Yes. Mm -hmm. I can, I can tell that. Um, and you, I, you know, my daughter sees you and when she, she's so impressed because she really has had a very difficult time with birth yeah. control in her life. You actually said to her, and she has given us full permission to talk about this, um, 
from time to time with the insurance, she would be given a certain a vendor or brand mm-hmm. of birth control, a generic. And so every single month, it's something different. Yeah. Tell us about that. That's Can that be harmful? It can disrupt the effectiveness, not in terms of the actual birth control prevention side of it, but our pregnancy prevention side, I should say. But the generics can differ from one to another up to about 25% is the last thing I was told. So Supposedly, the active ingredient will be the exact same, but the fillers will be different. And so depending on how your body metabolizes it, it could make you feel different from pack to pack. So if someone is on birth control and it works really well for them for whatever they're taking it for, you just have to make sure that you look at that generic provider on it and ask for the same kind every single time. Every single time. And I know I've heard that so many times and just you, you really... That, that that was actually a thing? It is actually a thing, it yes. And is. because the active ingredients are the same, you know, it's common for people to think it won't really impact them differently, but those fillers do make a big difference. I have to say, I had no idea, and I have actually told you this before, um, I had no idea that young women, like in their 20s, could or would be placed on hormone therapy. Yes. And am I, have I just lost my mind? No. That's what, <laughs> that's what birth control is, right? Yes. So you prescribe, for example, progesterone. If yes. So you look at their levels. Is that how you determine? Um, some of it is level-based, but a lot of it is just symptom management. So progesterone is my favorite hormone. I am. I will preach the gospel of progesterone <laughs> until I die. Um, but in a lot of younger women who are placed on birth control pills for PMS-type symptoms, we can really get the same benefit without the harm of taking bioidentical progesterone. So what that means is if you look at both of them under a microscope, it's identical to what your ovaries are making. So it's the same progesterone, you know how to metabolize it, those receptor sites are hungry for it. And at smaller doses in younger women is what we use. So it's not the same higher doses as postmenopausal women, but at younger, younger women at lower doses, it can really help alleviate those mood fluctuations that happen from your hormones just going up and down in a normal rhythm throughout the month. But progesterone is our calming hormone. So it really takes that edge off of the irritability and fatigue and anxiousness, insomnia that can happen from PMS. And then you're not risking those side effects from a birth control pill. Wow. Okay. I, this just, I am on 350 milligrams Mm -hmm. a night. I'm 58 post-ish, menopause-ish. What would you say a girl in her 20s would would be in milligrams? Typically, we start about 25 to 50. So baby doses, because their (laughs) ovaries are still going to make progesterone. So we don't need to overload them with too much. Um, (laughs) So it's really what I explained to my patients is we're just adding to what your ovaries are making. We just need to bump it up a tiny bit because a lot of the issue with mood and even sometimes hormonal acne that happens because of our cycle is because when we start our period a couple of days before that, our progesterone dips and then it stays pretty low until we ovulate again about two weeks later. So if we add in a little extra of that progesterone, it prevents this really big slope from your progesterone's nice and high, you feel great, then it drops to nothing you start your period. So we can kind of make that instead of a mountain drop, it's more of like a little hill drop. Mm -hmm. So it just really, I like to say it takes the edge off of things. Right. Yeah. I know 
these young women listening to the show right now are going, that's great. That's wonderful. No birth control. So if you're sexually active, yeah. what are your thoughts? I mean, obviously use a condom, but... Yes. Yeah, so I always tell my patients, I think birth control is so kind of in vogue for a while that we forget those older methods do work. Mm -hmm. So condoms are a great option, but... <laughs> the old-fashioned way. The old-fashioned, yes. Um, but also IUDs are a good option. So they are the, they're very small now. When they first came out, they're a little bit bigger, but now they're very small little T-shaped devices. Your OBGYN can insert them in the clinic and the insertion can be uncomfortable. I make no bones about that. Mm -hmm. um, but you can get the kind that has no hormone in it if you don't want any exposure to that at all. Most of them will have a little bit of those synthetic hormones in them. But the advantage of doing it that way instead of a birth control pill that you swallow is those hormones will just act locally in the uterus and ov ovaries, kind of the, the female area of the body. They don't get in your bloodstream and cause the same inflammation and cholesterol and mood changes. And then the advantages of the ones that have a little hormone is usually it keeps the lining inside of your uterus so thin that you won't have periods. So IUDs are a really safe, better option, in my opinion. Um, I understand not everyone's going to go for that mm -hmm. because it's a bit of a procedure. But most of the time, once it's inserted, it's crampy and uncomfortable for about a week, and then you forget about it. Wow. Some of them are good for up to seven years even. Wow. I have on my staff young women in their 20s a few in their 30s, and um, then we jump up to myself. But um, so we have we have every, I mean, having babies postpartum. So I have a list of questions yeah. that they have asked, which okay. is fabulous because they poll their friends, of course. But if you are trying to get off birth control, mm -hmm. let's say someone is listening to the show today. They're like, okay, we're having a baby, or I'm going to go ahead and go for the IUD. What is the process if you've been on birth control for a year or 10 years? Yeah. So birth control is fairly easy to come off of. We do suggest you finish the pack and then stop it. That way it doesn't cause a lot of intermittent bleeding or spotting. Cause sometimes if you stop in the middle of it, it'll you'll have some bleeding right away. And then you just wanna do the end of a pill pack. And then it can take three to four months to really see regular cycles. Now, if you have underlying issue, issues like endometriosis or polycystic ovaries, you know that story could be different. But for the average female with uncomplicated history, you just finish that pill pack and give it a few months. Wow. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's, that's easier than coming off Lanesta, for sure. Okay. Yes, for definitely. sure. Definitely. Okay. A question about seed cycling. Yes. So explain to this. When I saw that, I went, okay, I'm not sure what that is. Uh, can seed cycling really help balance hormones? I think if there's a mild issue, I... I think it could. You know, I'm all about using food as medicine, and that's really what this is about. It's, um, I don't remember the exact program, but for the first half of your cycle, so when you start your period until you ovulate, you do a combination of two different seeds that you take about a tablespoon of each day. To me, that's a lot of seeds, but, you know, to each their own. And then the second half of the cycle, you switch to a different type. And it's the, the good fats and the good antioxidants in those are supposed to help regulate your estrogen and progesterone. I have heard anecdotally from a few patients, they feel like it helps, but to me, I always want to have research to back up what I recommend and there just isn't enough on it yet. Mm -hmm. But, you know, I guess my long answer would be it's safe to try, but what's going to be more effective is supplements that we know have research behind it and definitely progesterone. Gotcha. So like, not harmful, but was, maybe not as helpful as other things. I'm like, what is seed cycling? <laughs> <I know. laughs> 
it's an actual seed. Okay. It is. It's oh. literally seeds that okay. you eat. Mm-hmm. All right. It's which, a lot of seeds. Which could be, I take uh, quite a few supplements. Yeah. But, I mean, I guess it's like food, right? Yeah, it is. It it's is food, food is medicine. Okay. Yeah. Food is medicine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's talk about what I have from time to time. And I know, I mean, my daughter's going through it saying hormonal acne. Yes. And the question is how to recognize it from other forms of acne and any tips on remedies. Yeah, this is a hard one. And I speak from experience because I've had acne on and off my whole life. I did Accutane as a teenager, which looking back, I probably wish I hadn't, but I didn't know necessarily any better yet. But hormonal acne is usually on the lower part of the face. A lot of times kind of cheek down. Chin is a really popular area and it can be cyclical. So some women just experience a few blemishes before they start their period or around ovulation because of the hormone shifts that happen. And then if you're lucky like me, sometimes it just lasts for a year at a time and then goes away. So a lot of it is inflammatory driven. It can be impacted by your testosterone levels, your estrogen levels. So there is a component of balancing progesterone and estrogen and testosterone that could help prevent some of the acne. And women that have higher testosterone levels from something like PCOS will often have more acne because with PCOS, you have higher testosterone levels, and that creates oil and inflammation in those glands that produce all the oil on your skin. So that is kind of a separate thing, but normal hormonal acne from someone who doesn't have PCOS, the best things you could do would be probably take a little progesterone. That helps a lot. Um, And then lower inflammatory style living. So not a lot of processed food, not a lot of sugar, sleeping well, managing stress, you know, those things that we all know that are really good for us, but are hard to implement. But some of it does come back to gut health, diet, and you just want to reduce inflammation any way that you can. Right. And you know, um, for me, I, I, from time to time, and I, we just found out my DHEA was DHEA was through the roof. Now, mm-hmm. young women probably are not taking DHEA. Is that? Or, I mean, no. And okay. sometimes in fertility protocols, they'll recommend a little bit of DHEA, but typically until someone's getting closer to you know forty premenopause, we don't usually do DHEA as a supplement. So, you have mentioned a couple of times PCOS. Yes. Jim Henser talked yes. about this last season from Las Colinas Pharmacy. Can you explain what this is? Because I'm hearing it a lot. Yes, it's gaining a little more popularity because I think we're, we know a little bit more about it, but still the kind of sad reality is there needs to be a lot more research done on how to better manage it. So the ovaries get the bad reputation in this disorder because it's in the title. It stands for polycystic ovarian syndrome. The ovaries just kind of bear the brunt of what's actually a metabolic issue. So the issue really starts upstream from the ovaries where you don't process insulin and sugar very well. And then that causes higher testosterone levels, higher insulin levels. And that leads to your ovaries producing more cysts than they should each month, which disrupts ovulation. Um, It can also cause more acne, extra hair growth on your face where you don't want it, weight issues, cholesterol issues. So the ovaries get the reputation for it, but it's really a metabolic problem. Right. Now, is there an age range with PCOS? I mean, is it? I mean, anyone who started a period. Anyone. Mm -hmm. All of us. All the above. All of us, yes. All of the above. um, There's... There's kind of a spectrum of symptoms. So some people you could say would be on the milder end. And then there's some women who 
have really severe issues and they lose hair on their head. They're, you know, obese. They can't get the weight off. So there's a wide range that can happen within that PCOS diagnosis. And a lot of people are put on birth control to help suppress that because it does keep the ovaries from producing as many cysts. It helps with that high testosterone level. So that's where I say, if nothing else works, birth control can be effective for those women, but you're just putting a Band-Aid on it. Really what, how we treat it, how we focus on it is from an internal approach. Let's try to get your metabolism better. Let's get progesterone on board so we can balance out that high testosterone level. And really the best thing is addressing the insulin resistance that causes the ovarian cysts. So talk to me about with that is PMS involved in this or is just, is that a separate, I mean, it's a separate thing. Yeah. And people with PCOS often have worse PMS symptoms, Okay, but PMS is its own thing. Premenstrual syndrome. Um, it really encompasses kind of a broad generic set of symptoms like fatigue, irritability, feeling bloated, all that stuff that happens the week before we start our period. And the reason that happens is because our hormones, estrogen and progesterone, they drop quite a bit and that's what signals a period. But it's the same thing I was mentioning earlier when I was talking about progesterone. We have these really high levels after we ovulate, then they drop to nothing really quickly. And that makes us feel kind of crazy for a little bit. Kind of crazy, yes. <laughs> and so there's, again, a wide range of symptoms. Some people have a little irritability, a little insomnia. I would say when PMS becomes a problem is when it interferes with your life. Okay. You know, you can't work. You have issues with your relationships because you're just so irritable all mm-hmm. the time. And again, not to sound redundant, but progesterone and certain supplements are really the best things for that. It's in my personal life been a game changer for really? PMS. Yeah. Right. And you just had a baby. I did. Yes. I he's 10 months old today. Wow. 10 yeah. months old. He's oh, awesome. Yeah. So cute. So cute. So cute. <laughs> she agrees. She agrees. He's the best. So in your, when you, speaking of, because yeah. we have uh, people asking about this, young women are asking, so what were your hormonal changes? challenges when you were pregnant, postpartum and during your pregnancy? So I was one of those people that mood-wise felt fantastic while I was pregnant. Oh, dear. I know. And (laughs) I didn't, I will caveat that with, I didn't like being pregnant because of the physical uncomfortability of it, but I had a great pregnancy. Um, But my mood was great because our progesterone levels get incredibly high when we're pregnant, up to 300s, even higher than that in some women. Mm. And that makes you feel good. So I had a great mood, but physically didn't like the the feelings. Um, so when I delivered, I was prepared because a lot of times when women struggle with their mood or kind of attachment and things like that after delivery, it's because we go from those crazy high progesterone levels to nothing, basically overnight. When that placenta comes out, you're done yeah. with hormones. And then if you breastfeed, your prolactin level from the pituitary gland gets really high to produce breast milk, and that suppresses your ovaries. So that's why you don't have a period when you're breastfeeding. And um, so that lack of estrogen and progesterone that normally happens while breastfeeding can make you have some of the same menopausal type symptoms like vaginal dryness, irritability, dry skin, insomnia. So 
What I did was right after delivery, I started taking progesterone just to keep my level up a little bit. In the hospital I took, I didn't tell my nurses. <laughs> I don't recommend that. <laughs> um, but my doctor knew I was taking it. Yes. Um, and so I took it three times a day. And for about two months, that's what I did to make sure I didn't have any big dips in my mood. I think it really helped prevent that postpartum baby blues. And then now I just take it at nighttime and it does help some with sleep. It helps just with the mood that can really change postpartum. Um, Now I'm not saying that would work for everybody in terms of just preventing postpartum depression, but preventing some of those side effects from having lower hormone levels while breastfeeding, it's been really good for me. Let me ask you, because um, I've had women talk to me about this and, and, and they really are, I have to say, they're they um, are breastfeeding their mm-hmm. babies less than a year old or right at a year, year old and cannot get the weight off. Yeah. They just can't get it off and, I, and they're working out and they're eating right. Yeah. What's going on? I mean, because honestly, and I know there's some, there's some people that we, you know, they're hidden snacks and there's a few goldfish here and there, but, <laughs> but is there something going on and they should be tested with their blood, right? Their blood levels, right? If you're breastfeeding and not having a period, it's pretty much guaranteed that your estrogen and progesterone and testosterone will be low. You basically go into a menopausal state for a short period of time. So you can have all the menopausal issues. (laughs) I had really bad night sweats, actually. Um, Several of my friends experienced the same thing. And then even vaginal dryness can happen because of no estrogen. So um, a lot of times when the weight isn't coming off when you're breastfeeding, some of it is your body's trying to hold on to extra nutrients because you're feeding another human being. Mm -hmm. I've talked to so many of my family members and friends who, when they stop breastfeeding, they lose that extra 10, 15 pounds uh, because your body can prioritize yourself again instead of feeding another person. But some of it is the lack of hormone. When those come back in, your metabolism should kick back in a little bit better. And it's person to person, mm-hmm. you know? I mean, I was the one who didn't have any trouble, but my mom, I was talking to her and she didn't lose the extra baby weight till she was done breastfeeding every time. Wow. So it's the metabolic changes from the hormones remaining low that can really be that barrier. And it's frustrating, but until you stop breastfeeding, you might not be able to see the last bit of the weight come off. Right. Yeah. So when, and I'm curious, when, because I was late in life, late, it just wasn't a thing yeah. to get your hormones tested. Yeah. It was not. Um, is there is there a time, is there a time stamp when you should start having lab work yeah. done? I don't know that I would say there's a very specific age where I would recommend it. I think so much of it when you're probably under 25 is just symptoms. If you have really bad PMS, if you have symptoms of even something like a thyroid disorder, at any point you should get those labs done if you're experiencing really bad PMS. Or if it's thyroid related, it can also be accompanied with weight gain, fatigue, hair shedding. So anytime you have those type of hormonal symptoms, I think it's a good idea to get checked. But as a baseline, I would say probably around 2021, 20, okay. um, just to see where you're at when you're young and your mm-hmm. body's working incredibly well. Right. And then you can see, okay, when I was 20, my progesterone, it was really nice and high at 15 every time after I ovulated. And then at 30, I'm starting to have more symptoms. And when we check it, your progesterone isn't maybe climbing quite as high and that could help explain it. But 
until you're a little bit into your 20s, it's normal to just have some crazy stuff going on as your body just really develops and grows. Right. Then it comes right back in, in yeah. later in life, for sure, for sure. We're never done. Oh, my gosh. We're never done. Um, so you've mentioned a couple of times thyroid, and yes. I've been so blessed because that has not, knock on knock wood. Knock on wood. Y'all, seriously, um, not been an issue yeah. at this time, but... Um, Talk to me about that. Is your specialty? You, you. I love you, treating thyroid. You do. You I do. really do. I find it so interesting and it's so rewarding to treat patients effectively, and then um, also kind of pulling in that autoimmune component for a lot of people with Hashimoto's because my mom has Hashimoto's, and so she was diagnosed with a thyroid problem. And then about a decade afterwards, when she started seeing Dr. Scott, she realized it was from this autoimmune Hashimoto. So she's kind of a, a big success story. Um, so thyroid issues, they are a spectrum of symptoms. They can be pretty vague, but if you're constantly cold, if you're gaining weight for no reason, if your hair's falling out, if your skin's super dry, some people will lose like that outer part of their eyebrow even, um, brittle nails. There's a lot of things that can go with it, but even period abnormalities could be a symptom. So when we check levels, it's typical to check two called TSH and T4. That's what a standard medical practice would probably check. And that's just not the whole picture. So we check six labs the first time we see people, because even if some of your levels are normal, if you're on the lower end of functioning, you probably are still having some cellular abnormalities where you're not absorbing that thyroid as efficiently. So being able to really take people's symptoms and their lab values and combine it to see, okay, is thyroid something that you really need? It's just, it's fun, honestly, because it makes people feel so much better if we catch it and we treat it correctly. And there's a lot of different types of medication and some work better for others. And we're familiar with all the different types. So we you know, sometimes do a little trial and error there. If you have a thyroid issue and you're not happy with how it's being treated, there's multiple different types of medication out there. Really? Really? Yeah. So with everything we're talking about today, mm -hmm. everything, how much does diet and activity exercise play yeah. in this? I always tell my patients, I can never give you a pill that replaces your lifestyle. It is the utmost important thing. Um, eating well and not just following some kind of strict eating plan or dieting. By that, I mean eating nutritionally dense food, having that emphasis be on real food, not processed food, limiting um, added sugar. Those are really the big things, kind of viewing food as this way to nourish and heal my body. Mm -hmm. And it's a fuel source. So we want clean fuel there. And then exercise, and you know, unfortunately, myself included, a lot of our jobs are just sedentary. So mm -hmm. we have to be more intentional with getting activity than ever. And for things like insulin resistance and weight management, cycle regularity, activity level is actually one of the things that can reverse those issues naturally. That is amazing because yeah. I am I am a huge proponent on food and mm -hmm. activity and because it does make a difference. And yeah. even when you do do the the, the, the things right, yeah. it's you still have issues. I do. You, can. you know what I mean? Yes. You can. But I can't imagine, Elise, not eating and working out and activity. I can't imagine where I would be. And eating yeah. 
processed fast foods. Yeah. You know, I, you know every once in a while, you got to live a little, I yeah, think. Yeah, little. <laughs> I'm all about a healthy balance. Sure. But I think I, we kind of take the 80-20 mentality of 80% of the time, we should be really nourishing our body with clean food clean fuel, clean food. And then the rest of the time, you know, leave room for things like when you are celebrating or going out to eat or those days when your kid's being crazy and you just have to go through the drive through <laughs> You know, and I understand. I, I, I really do appreciate that because it's not all or nothing. It's not. And it's that, not. that diet oh. mentality, that cycle, mm -mm. it's so bad for mm -mm. us. All right. I am jumping all over the place, but I'm trying okay. to get all these questions in. So what is the symptoms and the signs of estrogen dominance? Yeah. So estrogen dominance, it's not this, um, it's not a real diagnosis. It's more a term that encompasses symptoms. So a lot of times we see this in women as they're getting closer to menopause, you know, you hit 40. And what happens is you have a dramatic dip in how much progesterone you produce. And so your estrogen is still being made at these nice high levels, but it's buddy progesterone isn't keeping up anymore. And so if estrogen is left what we call unopposed, it leads to more of those PMS type symptoms, breast tenderness, irritability, bloating, fluid retention. And so a lot of this can be managed just by adding in a little progesterone um, and some women do well with certain supplements that are geared towards PMS. So it's not technically a diagnosis, but it does kind of help explain a group of symptoms that we see as women's progesterone levels start to dip. Right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that makes sense too. I mean, for all of us. Yeah. And you love progesterone. I, I do really too. do. I do too. The more I talk about it, the more I'm like, I am a broken record. I really <laughs> love this progesterone. Well, I mean, you're, it's, it's helped myself. I think yeah. I've... I, I've been on progesterone the longest. I think I started when my 40s, and that's yeah. late in life. And I'm not yeah. a birth control. I was never, I didn't do well on birth control, yeah. you know? So, um, if, and, and when I say that, if your mother or your grandmother had symptoms, mm -hmm. are you kind of predisposed to be? That not that we know. Okay. Um, okay. There is there's some studies that show menopause, how it happens, how bad you feel could be familial, and then there's probably just as many studies that say it has nothing to do with it. Wow. Okay. So I think it could be more something of like lifestyles that are passed down that could contribute the most. You know, if if your family's used to eating a certain way and it's not the healthiest, that might be more of a factor. Exactly. Yeah. So. What are good resources for hormonal health? This is a two-part question. Okay. What are resources for hormonal health? And then what do you say to these young women yeah. that can't afford... You know what I'm saying? Yeah, do, I know. I, it, it's most of the kind of practices that do functional medicine and hormone replacement. We have to kind of stay out of the insurance game. So it can that can be an imposition for some people. So what I would recommend is our website does have a ton of free resources on it, um, just about hormonal health, and it's leannescottmd.com. So, and then our Instagram actually is leannescottmd as well. And so we try to post things to keep people educated. Um, there's some really good books, like I like one called Estrogen Matters. It's about the safety of estrogen. So there are some good resources out there, but unfortunately there's not like one school of thought or one person I can say, oh, follow them because they have all the information. It's really functional medicine. We have to kind of piece it all together ourselves. 
Wow, that makes sense. And and again, I I understand the cost involved for these young women and um I understand. Yeah. But as a free resource and then listening to this podcast and then reaching out to you. Actually, on your website, I yeah. did see that you you can have a someone can have a consult, a free consult, yes. right? So we have this new patient call center and what you could do is call and tell us tell them your symptoms and if it would be appropriate for you to be a patient or not. And they kind of walk you through what we do a little bit more. Um, but you know, if you can't um if you can't actually see someone physically, supplements can be really beneficial. And so that's a way to do it in a more cost-effective way. There's a couple great brands. One we really like is Zymogen. Mm-hmm. Um, there's other ones out there, but some of those supplements can be a really good resource too. And so you could go that route instead of going the full hormone route. We are going to do a podcast on supplements because Good. we do yeah. have we have a we have a lot of questions about yeah. that. Well, I have to thank you because you, Dr. Scott, which I adore. Yes, I do too. Oh, I know, I know. And she's been so instrumental in myself and my my hormone health and my health. And my husband sees her as well. So men, uh, my whole family sees her. Oh, see? Whole family. I mean, it's a Dad included and my brother. But you helping my daughter. I mean- I She's just, precious. I, I just, I can't thank you. I, I believe she is, but I just can't tell you how much. And I get a little, a little teary <laughs> about this because you have shown her the way. You're not her mother, so right. you can tell her exactly. <laughs> yes, yes. I have a secret in. That's right. That's right. But thank you for all you do for yes. all of us. And, yes. and um, I truly love it. I'm going to have to get you back on to talk okay. about th- thyroids. Oh, that's I a would bigger, love to. That's a bigger. It's picture. a big conversation. It's a big it one. really is. Yeah. Well, everyone, reach out. Out to Dr. Scott and their entire team, and we're listing all of this in the show notes. And uh, you know, take care of your body. You only have one. You only have one. So take care of it. Everyone have a wonderful day and keep being fabulous. <laughs>